And once the flames and frights all fade away, And darkness once again takes hold of all, Will our good deeds redeem our evil ways, Ere Zakin's forge doth burn us in its maw? Rava Dita Sokenos by the playwright Orikios. Blade Productions. This is Echoes of Exesia, Season 3, Episode 12, The Feast of Passions. to kill a god. With Vostri's help, I had recovered the horn, my father's foci, and the final piece needed for the ritual. Ketra's gentlefolk escorted me back to the gateway. Ketra herself remained expressionless, while Kamira simply smirked with approval. Little Akira was still crying in the face of my father's tiger, as it bared its fangs at her. Vostri, however, shared a glance with me as I passed. A peculiar burning was in her eyes. Intention? Urgency? Hope? If anyone else had been aware of my vision, they weren't letting on. Everything seemed to proceed as normal. At the behest of my father's disembodied voice, Ketra began the invocation to pull us into the fright haven of sanctuary. I scanned her for any hesitancy, any tension or twitch in her body. In a thousand different iterations of this day, I witnessed one where she rebelled, risked everything to tell me a secret, something that could stop the Feast of Passions dead in its tracks. But she was cut off. Her final words trailed into a maddening silence in my memory. The ritual, she said. It will not work without... It was vague to the point of being useless. There were countless things she could be referring to. Could it be the five foci? Coin, pipa, choker, horn, and... whatever Ketra was using to control those spiders. Those would doubtless be closely guarded during the ceremony. Could it be the chain? When Varian's desperate half-measure to keep my father's spirit in the shade? If so, I was out of luck. His tomb was half an island away by now. Clearly the child of doorways was necessary, but she would be even more closely watched than the foci. I grit my teeth in frustration. I wish you were here, Quinn, I found myself pleading. She was always better at finding the hidden cogs in the machine. Mysteries always felt less daunting when she was around. We were taken to the Soul Spire, where my father was waiting. The five pillars lining the plateau crackled with ethereal energy. The stone slab in the center was unassuming as ever, yet 
I couldn't help but feel a pent-up yearning emanating from it. It was dark out. The manufactured moonlight of the shade bared down upon us. The air was still, with a lingering smell of dust and incense. Just chilled enough to be uncomfortable. Down below in the city, the various frights had lit all manner of torches, candles, and shinestones. The whole city brimmed with anticipation. Gareth of Shalecross greeted me with open arms. My father's wide mouth parted into a crooked smile. The moonlight accented his less favorable features. The burn scar on his forehead gleamed, and the warped outline of his oft-broken nose looked almost inhuman in the shadows. Rowan, he declared. Sorry. Claude. Old habits. <laughs> I am so sorry for twisting your arm like this, son. But when you see what we're about to do, stop! I growled. Threatening my friends? Threatening children to get what you want? That's more than twisting my arm. If you were truly sorry, you'd stop and listen to what I'm telling you. You think this ritual is the cure for Exeser's ills, but it's only more poison. My father's smile slithered back into a thin-lipped grimace. Fine. I guess you need to be shown rather than told. Gareth gestured to Kimira. The Wula priest held out a webbed hand towards me and muttered an incantation. I felt an agonizing jolt run through my body, like a hot blade cleaving my soul in half. As I cried out, so did two other voices, Gaz and Igneous. The Earthwind twins appeared behind me in a flash, falling to their knees. Your contract with them has been fulfilled, Kamira spat. Gaz, Igneous, you are dismissed. The golem and the monkey met my eyes. I saw some fight still left in them, but I dispelled it with a shake of my head. All they would do now was get themselves killed. Bitterly, they turned and started down the path towards sanctuary. As they left, one of Ketra's gentlefolk, still disguised, reached out and tore the horn from my hands. Another took Vostri's pipa, and a third Ocura's choker. They trudged over to three of the stone pillars. Lifting their spider legs up from under their cloaks, they placed one foci inside each pillar. An invisible force clawed at them, snapping them into place. They floated inside the pillar's hollow centers, alongside Raxo's coin. The four missing foci were finally in place. Only Ketra's remained. She stepped up to the lone, empty pillar, facing it. As she did, the eight round red markings on her face began to glow once more. A warbling sound came from the pillar, and the red light seeped out from Ketra's markings onto its center. When it was done, eight small red lights gleamed in the pillar's center, and the markings on Ketra's face were gone. The moment it happened... A horrific, chittering screech erupted from the gentlefolk. All ten hulking figures shed their mossy green robes, revealing their true selves. 
ten massive spiders, each the size of a bear, splayed out onto the ground. Their hairy, spindly legs propped them back up, and they rounded on the rest of us. Stacked red eyes and quivering mandibles met each of us face to face. I braced myself for an attack when... Hold! Kumira snapped. The spiders healed at her command. Your contract with Ketra has ended, but you are still denizens of sanctuary. I will let you feed soon. But disrupt this ritual, and you will be cast out. Doomed to be Winvarian's playthings once more. Is that understood? The spiders shuffled and chittered quietly, but were otherwise silent. Kumia flicked her hand towards the edge of the spire. One by one, the spiders crawled over the edge, descending out of view. Despite everything, I couldn't help but feel impressed. Kumia had no soul bond with these spiders, nor with any other fright in sanctuary. But they obeyed her nonetheless. They trusted her. She's kept them safe from Winvarian all this time. A growing sense of hopelessness welled within me. How could I fight this? This wasn't like Kuga and Everwake, with their warped ambition. This wasn't the nihilism of Ellipsis. This wasn't even loyalty born from fear or respect for rank. Sanctuary was... a family. Kumia was a mother, and every fright in this city was her child. She was sworn to protect them, and in turn, they gave her their loyalty. Even Gaz and Igneous, my own kin, felt that allegiance. Perhaps even my father was following that example in his own way. That would be my undoing here. I've faced overwhelming odds before, fought eldritch horrors and won. But I could not save a city that did not want to be saved. With the spiders gone, the plateau felt oddly empty. It was just myself, my father, Kumia, and the other circle members. Raxo, Vostri, and Akira were chained up and on their knees. I was standing, but my hands were also chained. There were no other guards with us, no cages or barriers. I supposed it was unnecessary. One word from Kamiya and the spiders would surely come charging back. All any of us could do was watch the ritual unfold. The child of doorways slept peacefully in Kumia's arms. The priestess stepped up to the stone slab and laid the swaddled baby down upon it. My father approached, standing over the baby opposite Kamiya. The moonlight cast an otherworldly sheen over the setting. The five pillars crackled on around them, like an electric chorus. Kumia smiled, surprisingly warm, at my father. It is finally time, Gareth, she whispered. Time to begin an unimaginable new chapter. You will set yourself free, and the world with it. Are you ready? My father nodded. Sweat poured down his brow. His hands were shaking. He's afraid, I thought. 
A part of him knew the insanity of what he was about to do. He did a good job hiding it before. But now that he was face to face with his dream, a crack of humanity showed. Then he looked back at me. I saw the fear in his eyes change to hope. Something about the sight of me calmed his nerves, steeled his resolve. Claude, my son, whatever happens next, I just want you to know that I love you. And I promise, even though it doesn't seem like it now, the future is bright. <laughs> and I couldn't imagine seeing it without you. Every inch of my body went cold at those words. As my father returned his gaze to the child, a puzzle piece clicked into place in my mind. Like an interrupted melody that finally resolved, my vision from before came roaring back into my mind. Without you, Ketra pleaded, voice cracking from pain. Her bloody hands gripped my arms in the fairy ponds as I held the horn in my hands. The ritual. It will not work without you, Fondair. You are his reason for doing this. He tells us. He tells Kumia. He would have given up so long ago, if not for the hope that you still lived. That he could give you a brighter future. A tiger's jaws clamped down on her neck. Blood spurted, and Ketra's eyes went wild with pain. Her dying plea echoed into oblivion. Stop him! Stop him, Vondaire! I shook my head, snapping back into the present timeline. My chest was heaving, my palms drenched in sweat. Was it really so simple? Furtively, I looked to Vostri. The old woman met my gaze, saw my shaken state and nodded. And a moment later, my father began the Feast of Passions. Gareth of Shalecross placed the baby onto the altar. She kicked and cried. Her wails rang throughout sanctuary. For a time, it seemed to be the only sound in existence. We all watched her, still as a painting. I wondered what it must be like to be that child in this moment. No knowledge of her role in all this. The destruction she was about to wreak upon the world. All she wanted was comfort. To feel safe. The most basic of needs. And the hardest to come by in a world like this. My father turned to the stone pedestals circling the altar. He paced the circular platform, visiting each in turn. Placing a thoughtful hand upon the coin, he looked to the sky. We now invoke the Feast of Passions, he called. The power of the five to summon the power of the one. From the Rodin, masters of the flame, we gift the coin, symbol of the dying embers. May its flame die, 
that a path forward may be lit. Rodin Kreshtra Vala Unmarkesh, muttered Kamiya. A hollow, discordant sound rang, and a thin spectral light lashed out from the coin, wrapping itself around the child's left hand. If the child noticed, she did not let on. She simply cried on, unaware of her own peril. Then my father moved towards the pipa. He plucked at one of the strings, and again announced to the skies, From the Kadin, shapers of the waves, we gift the pipa, instrument of the frozen river. May its music fade, that a new song of freedom may fill the air. Again, Kumira chanted, Kadin Kreshtara, Valon Morskesh. Another bell. Again, a thread of shimmering light bursts from the pipa and wrapped itself around the child's left leg. I began to hear a low hum and felt the platform beneath us begin to vibrate. Next was the choker. Running a finger along the leather band, my father continued. From the Jundin, riders of the air, we gift the choker, raiment of the empty chorus. May it fall forever silent, that the voices of the oppressed be heard. Jundin Kreshtra, Valaun Morkesh. A third bell, a third lashing of light. As the child's second leg was bound, the humming grew louder. A small, steady quake sprang up under our feet, enough to challenge us all to keep our footing. My father's horn was next. He knocked on it twice with his knuckles, deep in thought for a moment. Then he raised his voice, shouting over the dull roar of the humming. From the Almdin, commanders of the earth, we gift the horn, tool of the feral soul. May the weak among every beast and plant be culled, that the strong may thrive. Amdin Kreshtra, Valaun Markesh. Another bell, another lashing. The baby's cries could barely be heard over the deafening hum that filled our ears. The platform shook violently and Ketra, Kumira, and I stumbled in every direction, fighting to stay upright. My heart thrummed in my chest. My mind clawed for an answer, but found nothing. The child of doorways bound hand and foot upon an altar. In moments she would die, and the ritual would be complete. The walls of the shade would collapse, and every reality would collide. I had no power. No weapon, no trick up my sleeve. My allies were lost in the jungles of the physical plane. All I had were Ketra's words. It won't work without you, Vander. He's doing it for you. My father came at last to the fifth foci, Ketra's mask. As he gazed into the glowing, red, spider-like eyes, he cried out, from the Shadin, keepers of the shadows, we gift the mask, aspect of the hidden spider. May its disguise be revealed, that a truth may be brought to light. Shadin Kreshtra, Valaun Morkesh. A fifth bell, 
This time, there was no lash of light. Instead, a thin, sharp blade of light appeared, hovering several feet above the child. The hum was now unbearable. I clasped my hands over my ears. The platform began to crack and split apart. We each gripped a pedestal to stay upright, including my father. All around us, the city quaked and buildings began to crumble. Only the altar and the child upon it remained still, suspended by the magic of the ritual. The blade kept its aim true, directly above the child's heart. Gareth threw himself from his pedestal onto the altar. Gripping the corners, he heaved himself to standing. Laying eyes on the child, he shifted his gaze onto me. With a mixture of fear and elation on his face, he spoke the final words. Oh, may we feast upon the power of the Vaidin, the Veilman! Oh, may we ascend as he once did, that we may once again bring light unto the world! Vaidin Kreshthra! Vaiun Markesh! The knife fell. Like a golden teardrop about to kiss a pond. Everything seemed to slow in that moment. I saw my father's eyes meet mine, and a sudden horror dawning upon his face. That's when I realized what I was doing. I was running, mindlessly, faster than my thoughts could follow, running towards the knife. The platform erupted from the tremors, pushing against my feet. I felt the legs of the spiders touch my back, as they began to chase me down. My father's panicked scream of protest begging me to stop. None of it mattered. There was only me, the child, and the knife. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know if this would work, or what it would mean if it did. Maybe I was throwing my life away for nothing. Maybe Ketra was wrong, and the ritual would continue. Maybe I'd simply lost my mind. The knife gleamed as it plummeted, its point ever closer to the child's heart. I was still so far away. With a final, desperate cry, I leapt for the altar. That moment stretched on for eons. Myself in the air, launching toward oblivion. I felt a strange sense of peace wash over me. In moments... It would all be over, one way or another. This was my purpose. It had always been. Even with his old gone, I was still her agent. I would protect this realm, or I would die. I am your sword to be wielded. I am your arrow to be aimed. I am your enemy's last sight. I am your phantom in the mist. I am yours. Ah! My heart stopped. Hot pain in my back, followed by cold. I looked down and saw the child's eyes. She was still crying underneath me, but alive. The light binding her limbs faded. I felt the blade in my back disappear as well.
but the damage had been done. Blood pooled over the altar and dripped onto the platform. The humming died, as did the quaking. As before, everything was deathly still and quiet, save for the child's cries. I slumped down onto the altar's side. My father rounded the corner, dropping to his knees beside me. His hand gripped my face and pulled it towards him. Tears and wild fury reddened his eyes. How could you? he gasped. How could you, Rowan? His reaction told me all I needed to know. It was done. Whatever power the ritual used, it had been spent. Unfortunately, a knife that could kill a godling could also kill me. I saw everything in my father's face. Rage at his plan unraveling at the last moment. Despair for the fate of the world. Grief and shock at his son's actions. In a strange way, it was good to see. I had for a time accepted that my father's humanity was forsaken. What a shame that this was what it took to get it back. My vision began to darken. Feeling left my extremities, and my hands fumbled upward. Father! <coughs> Blood filled my mouth, and my tongue felt heavy. Father! I... He gripped my hands. Shh. It's... It's okay, son. Just... Just rest now. I've got you. I could tell from his voice there were volumes of things he wanted to say. But there was no time. No time for anger, for regret. Those were luxuries in moments like these. I was glad that, in the end, Gareth of Shale Cross chose to be a father first, caring for his dying son. I sank into his arms, let the warmth fend off the creeping chill in my body. Blackness spilled across my vision like so much paint on a canvas. It was enough, I told myself, over and over in my mind, until the words stopped making sense. It was enough. It was enough. It was. Everything was gone. There were no sounds around me, no smells, no sense of place or being, no sense of me, 
whatever I was at this point, body or spirit, a warm golden glow sprang forth from the darkness, like an elusive star shining in the dead of night. The light drew closer to me and began to take shape. A hand made of pure light extended towards me. The hand was skeletal, clean of flesh or viscera. Despite this, it seemed oddly inviting. I'd heard a thousand stories mention this moment, when the hand of the reaper comes for its due. Gods know I've run from that debt long enough. Perhaps here, now, I could finally settle up. I took the hand in mine. Instantly, I felt a comfort unlike any I'd ever known. It was not safety or contentment, more like the feeling of never having to worry about such words ever again. It was freedom from the memory of pain, the absolute defeat of discomfort. It pulled me upward towards itself. A body emerged from the light, a being with skeletal arms, and the body of an otherwise healthy young woman with cascading brown hair bound with a laurel crown. Her eyes were stunning frightening at the same time. A glimmering, awesome white, like iridescent jasmines. She wore an unassuming gown adorned with furs and flowers. It was like looking at a living, walking forest. She looked at me with those jasmine eyes. Soon I realized I was at eye level with her, and that I was standing. A sense of my body was returning to me. My senses congealed once more. The two of us remained in a void, completely dark, save for the figure's light. As I gazed upon her, I knew I didn't need to ask for her name. I had heard it spoken by her godly peers seen her depiction in murals painted by the faithful from long past. Hell, I'd even met her boyfriend. Illithane, goddess of life, smiled at me as she spoke. You are almost comically hard to keep alive, Claude Von Der. Illithane? Why are you here? I am everywhere, child. Her voice was even and soothing as a stream. There is a part of me in every living thing. When something dies, a part of me dies with it. We reconnect at the moment after the last breath, that I may look upon myself and Reflect. Then, I am 
truly dead? Illithane placed both of her skeletal hands upon my shoulders. They still felt like flesh, despite their appearance. Yes. You were stabbed by a god-slaying blade, forged by the Feast of Passions. Such a rite's only purpose is to shear life from the living. She spoke so matter-of-factly, as if reciting the reasons why leaves fall in autumn. However, she continued, brushing off my shoulders, I believe you'll find that life and death can be rather nebulous states of being. What... what do you mean? The goddess is being very clear, Vondere. The voice called out to me from behind, smoking, firm, but with affection. I saw the eyes first, her familiar, owl-like eyes glinting through the endless void. The rest of her seemed to step into being out of nothingness. Isolde stood before me, looking every bit as lively as she ever did in the ebon mist. There is still much to be done, and we mustn't let a little thing like death stop us. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects made with GarageBand. Outro song by Brittany Rea, a.k.a. Music Speak, on SoundCloud. For questions or comments, email me at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.